Chapter Twenty Five of the Riddle Ring by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Five. What is to be done next? Jim Conrad thought it out that night with every fibre of his brain active and strained in the business of thinking. He wanted to prepare against all the difficulties, to stop all the earths, in the fox-hunter's phrase. He felt sure, at last, that he had a plan as near to perfection as might be, in readiness for the morning's meeting. This was the outline of his plan. Clelia and Gertrude were to go to New York from Southampton. They had been thinking and talking of going to the United States, and they might as well go now. The steamers that sail from Liverpool touch nearly all at Queenstown, and if Sir Francis Rose got a hint of his wife's having left from Liverpool, he would be waiting for her and ready to board the steamer at Queenstown. But the steamers sailing from Southampton make for the Atlantic straightway, and have no port to touch at. There were many advantages, Conrad thought, in Clelia's going to New York. If once she got safely off, and by one of the fast steamers, there could be no possible pursuit for some days to come. Pursuit to the continent is a matter merely of hours. Then Conrad did not believe that in New York the judicial authorities would be apt to trouble themselves much with intervention, merely because an English married lady, whose husband did not profess to have any charge against her, had made a voyage to New York with another lady, even without his permission. Jim's idea, therefore, was that he should call at the Albemarle Street Hotel early, bringing his sheaves with him, that is, his revolver and his dagger, for distribution, that he should divulge his whole scheme to the young women, and that, if they acceded to it, he should at once take berths for them in the first steamer sailing from Southampton. This day was Thursday, and the next steamer would leave Southampton at noon on the Saturday. That was coming to close quarters indeed, but then there were two lines of first-class steamers running every Saturday between Southampton and New York, and it was not a time of the year when Europeans rush across the Atlantic. Excepting for the depth of the winter, the early spring is perhaps the time when the Englishman has least idea or opportunity of undertaking a trip to America. Therefore Conrad had little doubt that he should be able, one way or another, to secure berths for Clelia and Gertrude and their maids. Meanwhile, he thought the best thing to do would be to take rooms for them at one of the great hotels near to Westminster Bridge, and by consequence to the Waterloo Station, this end, if we may put it so, of Southampton. He had thought first of a small hotel or of quiet lodgings in one of the narrow streets running off the strand down to the river, but on turning the matter over in his mind, he came to the conclusion that the safest thing of all would be to go to one of the great, big, flaring, crowded hotels of the Northumberland Avenue quarter. No one would be likely to assume that two women seeking escape from London would even for a single night domicile themselves in one of these vast open public places. He would go and take berths in the steamer, he would go and take rooms in the hotel, and later on the maids could quietly convey the luggage to the right place. 
but in the meanwhile clelia and gertrude would have to be left alone and he could not bear the idea of leaving them at the albemarle street hotel until he had arranged everything for their flight sir francis would be almost certain to go to albemarle street that day and seek his wife what was to be done conrad racked his brain and at last worked out an idea he had thought of bestowing the young women in the national gallery no one ever goes to the national gallery he said to himself no he suddenly pulled up that might be a reasonable description of things in general but suppose anybody did go to the national gallery or suppose anybody were seen going into the national gallery suppose anybody were followed into the national gallery what protection would be afforded there for the pursued the officials would simply bundle all the disputants into the street and sir francis would have a good chance of securing his end jim had got to another and a better idea he would deposit the ladies in the gallery of one of the courts of law in the strand and let them wait there until he had arranged all about the passages and the hotel suppose sir francis rose by an extraordinary possibility were to find out that his wife was in the gallery of one of the courts of law and supposing that anybody not being a practising lawyer there could find his way into any of the courts of law and suppose he were then and there to claim his wife and insist on carrying her off by force what would happen to him the judge if he condescended to interrupt public business by listening to his appeal and did not at once order him to be turned into the street would simply tell him that he must proceed to enforce his rights by the ordinary legal process and then if he persevered in his interruption would commit him to prison for contempt of court all things considered jim conrad came to the conclusion that there was no sanctuary in the world so absolutely safe in its protection as the shelter of one of the law courts in the strand jim could not help thinking amid all his excitement and his frank recognition of the possibility of some terrible tragedy being close at hand that the shelter in the law court was something fit to suggest a scene to mr gilbert he was up early he had hardly slept all night his mind had been so engrossed by his plans and by the whole crisis and by the all but certainty that he was soon to see clelia for the last time come what would it was all over between him and her he had promised her that should she get off free he would never make any attempt to see her again he would keep his word for the moment he did not allow himself much time to think over even this the effort to help her sustained him the hour had not come for thinking of his own hopeless love that would come later on there would be plenty of time for it when she had gone what was he to do with himself when all that dream was over and there remained nothing for him but the cold and crude and cruel routine and realities of daily life yet it is due to him to say that such were not the thoughts now uppermost in his mind he was thinking only of how he might be most serviceable to her 
he had got into that exalted frame of mind that noblest of manly moods whether it concerns a cause or a woman when the man says to himself and feels what he says let me perish so it be well with you he was with the young women in good time and before he saw clelia he gave gertrude her revolver and likewise a careful instruction in the use of it a lesson which he directed rather with a view to her own personal safety than to any effective attack upon an enemy gertrude was very proud of the weapon and the instruction and said that now at last she felt like a man conrad thought that if she felt like one particular man her feelings were by no means to be envied but he forbore from uttering his sentiments on that point both clelia and gertrude accepted his plans quite cordially clelia was just as willing to go to new york as to paris and indeed saw all the advantages that jim eagerly pointed out the rest was easy the maids were to remain in albemarle street until jim had taken berths in the steamer and rooms in the hotel and came back and told them so then they were to carry the luggage to the hotel for which he had arranged meanwhile clelia and gertrude were to spend a delightful afternoon in one of her majesty's courts of justice in the strand and to wait there until jim should come to release them and to consign them to the shelter of the northumberland avenue hotel the plan worked very smoothly clelia and gertrude had the advantage of hearing the trial of a very important action which was brought to recover damages for injuries caused to the wife of the plaintiff by the servant of an omnibus company who had allowed his omnibus to knock her down in old broad street city the court was not crowded and there was plenty of room for the ladies in the gallery where jim had bestowed them they did not give an absorbing attention to the case they talked in low whispers to each other about matters of more immediate personal interest even the verdict of the jury failed to awaken them to any strong emotion especially perhaps as neither of them had the least idea about which way the verdict went their thoughts were filled with conrad's coming back with the news he would bring them with the chances of their getting off to new york with the chances of their getting out of london undiscovered and unmolested by sir francis rose the time did not even seem to hang upon their hands we too commonly make up our minds to the belief that hours of anxiety are necessarily slow in their passing there is an anxiety which sometimes compresses and condenses time meanwhile the hours that clelia and gertrude lingered and whispered through in her majesty's court of law in the strand were well employed by jim conrad in driving round to the offices of steamship companies and to big northumberland avenue hotels he was lucky enough to secure berths in one of the steamers leaving southampton on saturday the very next day and his heart thrilled with his success only think of it the poor youth was in love with clelia rose and yet his heart thrilled with the success which took her away from him in all probability for ever love is cruelly selfish sometimes but sometimes too heaven be praised it is utterly unselfish i have saved her 
Jim Conrad thought, and for the moment that was all he thought about. He took rooms at one of the big hotels. That was easy work. Then he drove back to Albemarle Street and packed off the maids. Nothing had been heard, he knew by negative evidence, of Sir Francis Rose. When the maids and the luggage were off the premises, he stood for half a moment at the door of the hotel. Just at that half-moment, to his surprise, Captain Martin happened to be passing by. They exchanged a salute. This time the encounter set Jim thinking, but he could make nothing of it. Then he went back to the law court in the Strand, and he set forth to the ladies what he had done, and gave them their steamer tickets, and told them about the hotel, and put them into a cab, and all was over. Captain Martin had been looking for his patron early that morning, but had failed to find him. Sir Francis Rose had not been home all night. Captain Martin, not knowing anything better to do, had strolled up to Albemarle Street again later on, and there he saw Jim Conrad standing at the door. He went back again and again to the flat out of Berkeley Square, and at last, and when the day was pretty far advanced, he succeeded in seeing Sir Francis Rose, who had just come in from a revel at a fast country house some twenty miles from London, where he had been playing deeply and winning largely. The smile of a winner's exultation passed off Rose's features when he heard the news that Captain Martin had to tell. "'Why didn't you tell me this before?' he asked, in all the blind mechanical rage of a man who wants to be furious with somebody and forgets that he himself is alone to blame. "'Because I couldn't find you,' was the answer, given politely, but with a certain tone of injured dignity. "'You weren't at home, and you didn't tell me where you were going, or how I could communicate with you.' "'There's something in that.' Rose admitted blandly, sadly. "'How very like me to do such a thing as that. "'Well, we must go to Albemarle Street at once, "'and you, my esteemed and gallant friend, "'must go in your capacity of detective officer accompanying me, "'and not as a soldier and a Patagonian explorer.' "'For all his fierce, impassioned fury against Conrad, Rose began to see a certain element of humour in the situation. It is needless to say that they came too late. The ladies had gone, and had left no address. Nobody knew where they had gone to. It was no affair of the manager of the hotel. One of the ladies might be the wife of the gentleman. The manager neither accepted nor disputed the statement but the names in the hotel books were not those of married ladies. The manager, in fact, was totally indifferent, and did not seem to care a button when he was informed that one of those who called on him was a detective officer. Sir Francis Rose stormed a good deal at first, but then became gradually impressed with the conviction that he was making a fool of himself. So he left the hotel and stalked out into the evening air of Albemarle Street. Then he put the police part of the investigation into the hands of the gallant Captain Martin, especially enjoining him to have the Dover and Folkestone steamers looked after, and, of course, not to make any row, 
but to see where the ladies were going if he could get at them rose gave all these directions with an increasing conviction that martin would be sure to go to the wrong place and do the wrong thing martin suggested that it might be well to make inquiries at all the big london hotels sir francis rose smiled compassionately just like a professional detective he said as if there was the least chance of their going to one of the big hotels but try there if you like the professional pride of the detective was offended and he did not try sir francis rushed back to his flat he was in a mood of storm and he blew up the waves of the storm as a malign sea-god might do who was determined on some act of destruction he sent a messenger at once for coffin he was furious with coffin because nothing had been done why had not coffin carried out his promise his pledge did he expect to get the house in the rue de la paix for nothing did coffin believe that he rose was a fool a blind buzzard idol as milton says the idea and the words came into rose's mind he had read them in some quotation from milton's prose writings long and long ago and they had not flashed back upon his memory until now do they all believe i am a blind buzzard idol he savagely asked himself does waley does that sham sir galahad that self-constituted squire of dames jim conrad believe it does clelia believe it he would soon let them know let them all and every one know how confoundedly they were mistaken he looked at his watch for amid all his storming he remembered that he had arranged a pleasant little dinner-party at the savoy restaurant and he was not going to be put off that by anybody it was now seven o'clock then he heard the electric bell at his outer door tingle and then there was a quick knock at his study door and he shouted come in and marmaduke coffin crept into the room with the familiar stealthiness of tread and with a countenance of composed and self-satisfied gloom so you have done nothing rose said fiercely couldn't do anything hadn't a chance my heaven rose exclaimed i am well off between you waley can't get this young fellow even to leave the country and you can't get him out of the world said coffin grimly out of the world yes if you like to put it in that way rose answered with a contemptuous toss of his head put it any way you like chief said the imperturbable coffin i suppose i must take it in hand myself rose said with increasing scorn for he began to be afraid that both his retainers were cooling in their ardour for his cause good idea coffin said nodding with an air of grave approval something like that which an undertaker might assume as he accepted a suggestion about the arrangement of the hearse what do you mean by a good idea idea of your going into the thing yourself 
go to his house lodging whatever it is demand to know about your wife talk up and loud quarrel follows i'll take care of him in quarrel judicial inquiry injured husband seeking lawful wife row attack on injured husband faithful friend too zealous defends him assailant killed nothing planned no murder all parties get easily off injured husband leaves court without stain on character zealous friend gets twelve months at most and then house rule pay by jove i think there's something in what you say rose declared and his eyes sparkled with cruel satisfaction he had always felt a little doubtful about the consequences to himself in case he should secure the assassination of conrad in his present mood of hatred and revenge he would not have been deterred by any such consideration that is he would not have held back the murderous hand still it might be a very serious business for him and even if he should get out of the country all right it would perhaps involve questions of extradition and all that troublesome sort of thing allowing a traveller no rest anywhere for the sole of his foot he thought there was a stroke of positive genius in coffin's suggestion thou art the best of the cut-throats he exclaimed am i really coffin asked quite gratified i was only quoting from shakespeare rose added hurriedly indeed said coffin placidly i never read shakespeare i saw a play of his once in paris i don't remember where and i forget what it was then he shut his mouth rose strode up and down the room thinking the whole thing right out he had not in his mind the slightest suspicion as to the integrity of his wife neither when he loved her madly as he did once before and as he did now or when he hated her madly as he had done before did he ever fail to recognize the genuine purity of her nature but he hated conrad none the less there was a pause rose looked at coffin as if he expected him to say something oracular coffin was equal to the occasion the oracle spoke send for waley coffin said what in the name of patience do we want with waley rose asked angrily he was for the moment quite disappointed with the oracle waley will go to help you in recovering your wife waley no man of violence good witness waley sure that it was all only a row no plan no thought of killing anyone by jove you are right again rose exclaimed coffin you positively shine to-night you may count on that house in the rue de la paix provided of course you get the job done leave the job to me you pitch into conrad pretty hard threaten him make him attack you mind make him attack you 
leave the rest to me. We'll call Whaley as evidence. Go for Whaley at once, Rose said. No, better you wire for Whaley yourself. Why so? Better. Will please him to be sent for by you. Thinks, perhaps, he is left too much out of the business. In a circle, you know. Send for him and consult him. Make it all right. What put that idea into your head? Rose asked sharply. Have a head. Idea got into it. That's all. Yes, you have a head, Rose said in a tone of admiration. I am sure you are right in this, too. I'll wire for Whaley at once. I'll take the wire, Coffin said. Why so? I can send it by the messenger. Better that I should take it. For what reason? They might know you at the post office. All right. That's it. That's what? I take a message asking the man who is not violent to come with us. Shows there is no plan for killing prepared by anyone, see? Sir Francis's features relaxed into a smile for the first time that evening. He was beginning to wonder how he had failed to see Coffin's striking qualities so long. He wrote the message asking Whaley to come to him at half-past eleven, for he meant to enjoy his dinner, and handed it to Coffin for delivery. And then, alone, he waited in some anxiety, not as to what was to be done, for about that his determination did not falter, but about the manner of doing it. He did not believe for a moment that Conrad had any plan for carrying off his wife. He knew perfectly well that nothing of the kind had ever entered into Conrad's head, and he was equally sure that had it entered there, it would have to pass out again quite unfulfilled. But he felt none the less hatred to Conrad on that account. The conviction was settled deep down in his heart that but for Conrad he should have got his wife again with her money. The little dinner-party was very pleasant, and Rose left it reluctantly. His weakness was that he never at any given moment quite knew which enjoyment he preferred. He went home and met Whaley, and told his story. "'Don't believe a word of it,' Whaley quickly answered. "'What I mean is that I'm quite sure you're misinformed, Chief. I know the young chap pretty well.' I can size up any man when I come to study him, and I don't believe he ever thought of doing anything of the sort. You seem to have a high opinion of him, Whaley, Rose said, with passionate contempt in his look and his voice. So I have. Well, at any rate, your impeccable friend has been helping my wife to get away from me. "'That's quite another pair of shoes, don't you see? "'A man might do the one thing who wouldn't do the other.' "'Do you dare to back him up, Whaley, here to my face?' "'I don't back him up. "'I believe a man ought to be very careful how he interferes between husbands and wives anyhow. "'I suppose that is religion, ain't it? "'But there are degrees in wrongdoing, I take it for granted.' 
the man who interferes between me and my wife shall pay the penalty for it rose exclaimed quite right came in the raven voice of coffin who had been with rose before waley arrived let it be so waley said what do you propose to do i'll go to his rooms and i'll talk to him and he must tell me where my wife has gone or i'll know the reason why suppose he doesn't know waley asked in perfect good faith oh rot he does know i have evidence that he was there this very day and late last evening also suppose he won't tell he shall tell i'll drag the story from his very throat well do you want me to go with you on this expedition yes i think you ought to be with me i think you ought to stand by and help me are you my friend or are you my enemy i am your friend chief and not your enemy as you know well and just because i am your friend i'll go with you on this business who else is going you don't want a crowd i suppose coffin is going rose said not without a certain visible reluctance and a scrutinizing look at waley's face ah oh, coffin's going all right yes i'll go certainly but i should have thought two to one would be enough for all purposes how do i know what confounded devil's work such a scoundrel may be up to oh you take it in that way very well i'm with you chief i can see fair play at all events if i can do nothing else rose cast a keen distrustful glance at him but said nothing when shall we go waley asked rose answered now end of chapter 25